As Tim said, um, I'm speaking from uh, the passage where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's found in Luke 22, pages, well, page 999, and I'm going to read from Psalm 39 to 51. And it starts, Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. So Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared from him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. So when I was reading through this passage to talk to you today and praying about what God might say to us, I felt like he gave me a question or a series of questions to ask us at St. Dionys. And I felt like he was asking, do you trust me? Do you call me trustworthy? You may believe in me, you may acknowledge my name, but do you trust me? Are you dependent solely on me? Are all your eggs in my basket, or are you hedging your bets? And September, for many, is a bit like the start of a new year. And uh, I think some people, if you've been in London, you might have been enjoying a quieter commute to work, perhaps less school children on the bus or tube. You might have gone on a family holiday and had some time to focus on the year ahead or even gone to, fo uh, to focus and heard some talks and heard a message that's really spoken to you or even been at Harry Campbell's brilliant talk last week. And over the summer, we sometimes have time to reflect and think about what our hopes are and what it is that uh, we're wanting for those future months. And perhaps you are praying for things to develop in your life. Perhaps you're praying for things to develop in the workplace or in your place at home, in relationships and friendships, or in a political environment that we're um, aware of uh, around us. And in the Bible, in Romans 8, it says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. The Bible shows full understanding 
that all of us are in a position where we're hoping for change, both in our very being and in our external circumstances. And sometimes that hope takes a while to be revealed. And one of the things that struck me about this passage is that while Jesus is in a position of waiting, he remains completely focused and trusting in his Father. Before the passage that I've just read, in Luke 18, and just before that, well, he's met with his disciples, and he's had the, um, the Last Supper, and he's communicated to his disciples exactly what I've just read, and then what's to come. So he said in Luke 18, he says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be revealed. He will be turned over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and insult him, spit on him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So Jesus finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane in a position that he knew was coming. And this has really helped him because he knows the goodness that is ahead. But he also knows this period of waiting and hardship that he would also experience. And so we find ourselves in the great now and not yet, the great promise that's expected, but we're not quite there. And Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man, is stressed out. And so much so, he has um, sweat that's coming out of his body, and it says it's not just sweat, but it's blood. So I don't know if any of you have been stressed out um, I certainly haven't quite to the point of blood coming out of my body, um, but apparently there's a medical condition where actually your blood vessels can burst because of so much stress, and that blood gets into the sweat glands, and it comes out of your body. So just to, for us to understand quite how stressed Jesus is, that's the medical level that he's reached there. And you learn a lot about somebody when they're in a position of stress, when they're under pressure. And often, their deepest character and where they put their trust is revealed. Some of you um, yeah, might have heard of the Stanford Marshmallow Test. Um, you might have seen it. It's really worth looking it up on YouTube at some point. Um, but basically, in that test, it's a test that's designed to see how children respond to the situation. So they're basically put in this dark room, and it looks almost like somewhere where you'd go to be interrogated. And sometimes there's one child, sometimes there are two. They're sort of four years old, like really, really little. And they're given this one marshmallow. And they're told, here's a marshmallow, you can eat it now, or you can wait for a short period of time and you'll be given another marshmallow or a couple of marshmallows. And they're not told how long they can wait, like, want to wait for. Um, and it's really, like, funny, yeah, it's really funny seeing how these children respond. Makes me think it was filmed a long time ago, because to them, one marshmallow was so exciting. As I think, <laughs> they might have to offer a little bit more now for the same experiment. Um, but yeah, so you can see how the children are responding. And sometimes... Waiting for God's promises can be a little bit like that because we're promised something and we're told you will get it in a little bit and then we wait. And we wonder, you know, will he 
come through on his promise? Will he deliver? Maybe I should just take the out. Like, I've got one marshmallow. That's quite a good option. Maybe I should just take that one and go. And, and, and yeah, so I sort of wonder, what, you know, when watching that, how would I even as a child respond to that situation? And Jesus has a slightly more extreme example uh, that we see in this passage. He's been asked to wait to withstand. He's been asked to wait being betrayed by a friend, a really close friend who he trusted. He's been asked to wait. He's going to be flogged before he dies on the cross. He will then die on the cross. He's been asked to go through all of this before he's given his promise. And Jesus doesn't choose the out. And the out that I see for him in this passage is that the disciples say, do you want me to strike with the sword? Jesus could easily have chosen out, and he chose to stick with the plan that he'd read in the scriptures. So for us, looking at how Jesus trusts in his father, how can we learn from how he did it? And how can we put uh, more of that into practice ourselves? I'm just going to look at a few things that I think we can take from Jesus's example. And the first is that Jesus trusted that his father was good. So I just want you to take a moment to think, do I trust that the Lord has good plans for me? And what examples have I seen in my life, perhaps, of where I have seen that he does have good plans? So um, the pastor, if you went to Focus, you might have heard Bill Johnson speaking. And at Focus... Or rather, yeah, so one of the things Bill Johnson says, we spoke about goodness at Focus, but he says the playing field of our faith is as big as our recognition of God's goodness. And God has promised a lot of good things to us. And we see in the word, in Jeremiah, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. There's a lot of things in there that he's promised for us. And Jesus, in this moment, in his deepest stress, he shows unwavering belief in this. He knows his father remains good. And we see that when he's in the garden, firstly, through his prayers. So he begins his prayers using The word Father, so important to our Lord's Prayer that we remain in an intimate relationship with our Father even when we feel like our circumstances aren't showing he is a Father. So he he remains in that relationship and he begins Father in his prayer. And he goes on, he expresses what he wants. Jesus says, this is what I want. Please, can you take this cup away from me? Please, can you... Let me not get out of, let, let me get out of this situation. Um, but he, so he's expressed what, how he feels, but then he says, but not my will, yours be done. Because again, he remains knowing that his father's belief, his father's plan for him is better than his own. So he remains in this very trusting position in the midst of um, the garden experience or his stress and on the mount. Um, and, yeah, again, he knows, what's, he knows what's coming ahead. So he remains trusting that his father is good because he's been promised earlier in Luke that he will rise again. 
And the reason that he can remain focused, he has a great knowledge of the scriptures. So he would know that verse in Jeremiah. He would know the Old Testament like the back of his hand. He knows what um, has gone before him. And so for us, how can, how can we know what God has promised to us then? So we need to again look to the scriptures and say, what are those promises? What, what has he put um, before us? What has what he written before us that we can focus on? And it says in Philippians 4, just to look through some of the promises for us, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And in Romans 8, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And Proverbs 1, But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. And these promises aren't just for heaven, but they're to be claimed on us in, on earth too. And it says in the Psalms that, uh, well, as David's writing his Psalms, he says, I will see, I remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I think that's really important as Jesus prepares for the cross. He isn't just preparing to rise again and enter heaven and sit next to his father on the throne. He knows he'll actually return to earth. And he will return to earth again. He knows that his promises are to be claimed here. And that's true for us. And I know that that's true in my life. There are periods of receiving God's promises and periods of waiting for God's promises. And one of the times when I received God's promise was when I was, I'd been working, like Tim said, I was working for the Stewards Trust. And I had two amazing years working there as a youth worker. It's a two-year position. And so when that came to the end, I knew that I needed to be looking for the next thing. And I'd been thinking about what that might be. And in my last year, I, I had some experience of teaching at the Stewards Trust. And I really uh, loved teaching art. I really loved teaching art to the young people that came on those camps. And I felt like that was something that was right for me. So I looked at applying how to get into that. So I applied for a PGCE. I actually, as Tim also said, I had a history of art and English degree. So it wasn't the best CV for applying to teach practical art with lots of artists coming out and looking for practical um, developments of their, uh, for their career. So it was, I didn't get that PGCE uh, position that first time. So I was thinking, okay, how do I get into this without wasting too much time? And I applied to various different schools. And the main, one of the interviews that came up was at a school in Clapham. And it was for a position as a teaching assistant two days a week. And it definitely wasn't what I was looking for. I wanted to move quickly into my next career. Felt like I was in a bit of a hurry. Um, and I really didn't want to go, I really didn't want to go part time. And I wanted to be training. So, but I went to this job interview. And when I was there, I felt the spirit of the Lord actually in the corridor of the place where I went to go and apply. And I had a real sense that's where God wanted me. But I felt quite disappointed by that because I thought, how can you want me to do a two-day week assistant job? Like, I'm you know, old enough to kind of crack on with things. Um, but that was definitely the main opportunity that came up at the time. And so I went for that job and uh, I gradually sort of increased my days over the year and 
Um, I was applying to get trained at that school, and it was only, in fact, I was talking to my mum here, who, and she reminded me it was only a week before I um, needed to know that I was going to get trained. So it was sort of a week before the September term began that I was given the confirmation from the university that I would begin my training that following year. So I felt like God was really testing me at this late, what I consider late stage in my life to be developing this part of my career, to trust him. And it was so important that um, he led me to that school, and I've been there since for the last four years, and it's been the most wonderful opportunity, and it has really suited me. And I can see that God wanted me there, and that's why he took me there. And going, taking a step backwards was really important for him to guide me to the right place. So that is an experience that I've had in my life of where God has been good to me. And I wonder where it is at the moment that you need to trust that God is going to be good in your life. And I'd encourage you to return to those scriptures and think again, what has he promised for me? And remember that he will come through in that time, even if it takes some waiting. And the second thing that Jesus shows is that he trusts his father is in control. So just again to pose a question, do you believe that God is not only good, but he is in control of your life? And last week, Harry quoted the missionary Roland Baker, and he said the only way to be truly happy is to trust that God is in control and has you on his strings he is in control, and we are free. And our belief can waver in that, but Jesus showed in that passage that he was certain of, of that in his life. And as I said, we saw uh, Jesus in that passage. He's taken concerns to his father. He um, was doubtful, actually, that his father was in control when he said, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He shows that actually he wanted God to intervene more in his life and show more, more um, active presence in what was going on. And he's really coming to his father and saying, really? Like, do you really want me to go through this? Is this really you as a father being active? Is this, like, are you really involved here? And I think it's good that Jesus, we see that Jesus is able and that we are able to do that and to kind of wrestle that out with him. And, but he's very willing to kind of take that on. He, he, one thing that Jesus shows is that he trusts that his father heard him. And we see that in action now, so he moves again from the Mount of Olives to the garden and uh, the crowd approach, and in the crowd we've got soldiers, officials, chief priests, and Pharisees. And um, as that crowd is approaching, we see two different responses. We see the disciples' response and Jesus' response. And the disciples have a fear response. And they haven't prayed, they were sleeping, as we were told. They were so concerned that they fell asleep. It said, sorrow made them sleep, which can happen. So they were sleeping, Jesus was praying, and they, res they respond by saying, 
Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them strikes. He actually, interestingly, hasn't waited for Jesus' reply. He's just gone ahead and he's struck, struck off that ear. And Jesus um, responds after that, no more of this, and touches the ear and heals. And in John, we see that uh, Jesus actually says, do you not think that I could call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions or angels, but then how will the scriptures be fulfilled? He shows that he knows his father is so powerful, but that actually it's a different will that's um, being acted out here. And it reminds me of in Zechariah, just look at the verse, it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And I think we see this as an example of that verse. And to me, one of the things about the sword is it reminds me of a metaphorical sword that we often get out in situations. So sometimes I'm feeling impatient. And like I was saying with this job, I want things to happen faster. And I kind of intervene and get involved and do things, sometimes out of fear, impatience, and just thinking, do you know what? God's like, I'm not seeing him here. He's passive. He's like, clearly not able to act. He's on his clouds. I need to help him out. So I get out my sword and I sort of quicken things up a bit. And normally there's some level of chaos that comes as a result of me doing that. And one story in the Bible that I think shows us of how people in the Bible do the same thing too is the story of Sarah and Abraham and then Abraham. And in the story that many of you will be very familiar with, Abraham has left his country and he um, has been told he's going to become a really great nation. And Sarah has heard that too. So they have an expectation that they're going to have lots of children to be able to set up that nation. And then um, they set off, and they've been in the land of Canaan for 10 years, and they're still childless. And then when Abraham's getting into his 80s, Sarah has a bright idea, and she thinks, clearly, I've heard God's promise, but he's not able to sort of get this, in, get this going, so I'm going to get involved. So she suggests to Abraham, or Abraham, she goes to him, and she says, why don't you sleep with the maidservant? And to some extent, for her to say that would be a great sacrifice. She might feel like, I'm laying down my life here for this promise. But it's, um, yeah, so she suggests that, and then Hagar has the, um, the son, and then, an, and then the son's born, and um, God's, yeah, God's, there's a lot of yeah, description around how God then responds so graciously and loving to the whole situation, even though it's not what he wanted. Um, and so it wasn't his will, but there's no plan B in the kingdom, so he transforms it. And then later, he comes back, and it says that God then spoke to um, Ab Abraham and Sarah again, and he's more specific this time. And he says to Sarah, you will actually be the mother of the nations. And so she now knows to hold on more, and that he will fulfill his plans through her specifically. And... Um, and then we see how Sarah then has the son when Abraham's even older. And I think it's a really good example of how actually she heard the promise, but she didn't realize just how 
good God is. And perhaps there are times in your life where you feel you haven't fully trusted his plan and you feel that you need to intervene in a way that's out of fear rather than out of faith. So I wonder when you get out your metaphorical sword and how can you exercise more faith in that area? And the third and final area I think we see in this passage is that while we're waiting, Jesus is strengthened. And we see this by him going up to pray. And as we know, he's in a lot of, well, he's sweating and praying even more earnestly. And it says in the Bible that an angel is sent to strengthen him. And that's perhaps not the response he wanted, but an amazing response of God strengthening his beloved son. And we too are called to wait and will be strengthened in the waiting. In some cases, literally by an angel or God's presence. And in other ways, we see God's goodness with us. And that glory that the God gives us through his presence is a signpost that he is working to fulfill his promises. And while we receive that and continue to point to him in the midst of that, we are pointing, we're an amazing example of pointing to the Father. So actually when we're waiting and pointing, we're pointing others to him. And it says um, in 2 Corinthians, just to turn to another scripture, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair. And that is often what God calls us to, to be jars of clay. Often we want to be the treasure. We want to look and seem like we're the treasure, but often he calls for us to be jars and for him to be the treasure in us. And if you were at focus, again, Charlie Mackesy, who's a friend of the church and has spoken here before, he told a story of how he experienced this in his life. And he said that 12 years ago, he was going through a low in his life. And he described it like going through a washing machine and he didn't know where God was. And a best friend, and in fact, atheist, said to him, in this, how has, um, how has your relationship with God changed? And uh, Charlie said, I don't know. And the friend said, do you want me to tell you? And the friend said to him, before you're a Christian nice guy, you were laughing and joking, like, by all means, you're a great guy and we're really good friends. But when you were hit by this train and your life changed, that is when we saw your God. And I thought it was such a powerful story because Charlie felt like he failed as an evangelist. And yet it was at that moment that his God was revealed. And he didn't see it, but his friends saw it. And um, that is one reason God asks us to take on things that are bigger than ourselves, to give more than we think we can financially, to take on jobs that are beyond our capabilities, and to say yes to more things than we think we have energy for, or to leave things when we don't know what happens next, so that he can show us that he is strengthening us even when we don't have. And just to draw on one and last story that... Um, the story of the heavenly man, 
I remember coming to this book when I really wanted to be challenged by some amazing Christians, some people who sort of really followed God. And he uh, had faced, he was a Christian evangelist, but he was being brought into, kept being brought into prison in China because he wasn't allowed to own Bibles. And it said, after facing weeks of torture, including electrocution, starvation, beatings, and having needles shoved under his fingernails, he was thrown in a box that was four feet long, so I suppose like about this long, three feet wide, and four feet high. So just enough for him to sort of stand in, if he was quite short. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, the day after he was put in that mini cell, he felt prompted to pray for a Bible. And he was thrown a Bible the very next day. And in his book, he writes, I knelt down and wept, thanking the Lord for this great gift. I could scarcely believe my dreams had come true. No prisoner was ever allowed to own a Bible or any Christian literature. Yet strangely, God provided a Bible for me. Through this incident, the Lord showed me that regardless of men's evil plans for me, he had not forgotten me and it was in control of my life. So to close, while we're waiting for, to receive God's promises, he will strengthen us and he will provide for us. And we can look to Jesus to remember that he is good, that he is in control and that he is strengthening you. And if you've already taken your trust back from the Lord in some areas of your life, perhaps this evening is a, a moment to give it back to him, to give back complete trust to him this evening.